Andrew, I understand there are some species you'd love to see more of out in the world. What, what are you thinking about? Yeah, it's, it's hard to narrow it down, but I did for this conversation, I did come up with three that uh, made the short list for today's current line of thinking. So we're going to um, tease the other two, but you're going to start with one. What is the first species that comes to mind? The first species, I'm actually going to say a species because the other two are genus. Um, the first species that I've been really loving lately, I, I had a ton of them kind of come into the garden uh, this year, uh, is Korean hornbeam. And I found that Korean hornbeam um, is a remarkably good species for bonsai. It's, it's one that we do see um, a fair bit, although not as much as I think it sh uh, we should see it. Um, but it, it, it's, it's a plant that is, is, is really, really nice for working with you. Um, it's not going to fight you. It's, it's incredibly predictable. Uh, it has beautiful features, small leaves, uh, and it just likes being a bonsai. What does that mean? It doesn't fight you. It doesn't fight you, meaning it's, it's predictable on what it's going to do. You cut it back. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to, regrow if you have a strong plant. Um, the techniques that we utilize on Korean hornbeam, like partial defoliation uh, or even full defoliation on young plants are, are um, we get a predictable response. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a really, really beautiful plant. Nice short internodes, uh, nice small leaves. Uh, it, it's hard to mess up a Korean hornbeam, I think. <laughs> Which is Funny, I was actually going to make a case for almost the opposite in terms of messing it up. But do you remember a few months ago, I got a text from you just apropos of nothing. And it said, is it just me or do Korean hornbeam want to be bonsai? Yeah, exactly. And then that's what I've been thinking about a lot this year, because, you know, I only had one or two of them uh, up until this year. And then I had maybe 30 come into the garden um, and they just they just they're just great plants. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, in every, every single thing that I could isolate, uh, leaf size, uh, inner nodes, um, interesting trunks, um, nice fall color and, and anything that I can isolate, they, they score really high marks. Uh, they don't flower, they don't fruit. So they're not, you know, some crazy specialty plant, but for just a common deciduous tree, I, I find Korean hornbeam to be really, really um, forgiving. Uh, horticulturally, they're great. Um, they could be a little on the wet side, a little on the dry side. They're not going to care too much. Um, they're not as sensitive as other hornbeam. Um, I work a lot with the Japanese um, hornbeam, not not a Carpinus japonica, but the, the one that they tend to use for bonsai, uh, Carpinus laxiflora. Uh, sometimes they call it a red twig hornbeam, and that's a really unforgiving plant. Very unpredictable. It's beautiful, but it's it it, it doesn't um, it doesn't always do what you want it to do. And cream hornbeam, I've found just just does. Yeah, I forgiving is the word that comes to my mind. It may be the most forgiving deciduous species. I can't think of anything that's easier to a keep healthy or b develop good characteristics for bonsai. You've had one, right? There's, there's one on your blog that, that I'm sure everybody knows. And, and what's your experience been like developing that tree? Oh, and that gets to the fun point I wanted to make about them. I, I think they're fantastic. I've had a lot of fun with that tree. I remember when I first 
acquired the tree. Uh, I remember I was at a workshop with Boone and we cut the top third of the tree off and cut all the branches to stubs of about one inch. And I pretty much grew all of the branches since then. And in those intervening years, what I've learned is in general, one reason we have such high standards for deciduous bonsai in general is that all problems that are hard to fix on conifers are easier to fix on deciduous. And because it is so easy to fix so many problems on Korean hornbeams, our standards for what makes a good Korean hornbeam bonsai are very, very high with one weird but important exception to that. And so what I mean is a lot of hornbeam are styled like conifers or just the generic bonsai shape. And a lot of hornbeam are styled as deciduous trees. In Japan, hornbeam are almost exclusively collected trees and pretty much all collected from Korea. And so we don't see a lot of cultivated Korean hornbeam. And so I don't know that we have the models yet to develop for that. And so I think one of our great challenges with the species is that we find what for us is the most beautiful branch pattern, what for us is the most beautiful trunk shape. Um, it's going to be really hard to recreate what we see in those collected specimens because the trunks are rarely that big. We have a lot of big kind of sumo style stumpy things. That's not what you see in Japan. We see long meandering trunks with fantastic bark with zero scars and then funky, relatively sparse branching. That's the Japanese version. The American version of hornbeam is these fat trunks, super dense things. And I, there's just so much more untapped uh, area to cover with styling those things. Yeah, yeah. I I think versatility is a good word for describing crane hornbeam. Yeah. It, it, it could, similar to trident maple and some of the other real common um, deciduous species that we utilize in bonsai, uh, I, I think you could take a Korean hornbeam. You 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 could do almost anything you want with it. It could have a thin trunk. It could have a thick trunk. It could you can make it into a beautiful forest. It could even be a cascade if you wanted to go that route. It's it's super super versatile and and what it can be. Yeah, Eric Schrader made a gorgeous uh, cascade or semi cascade Korean hornbeam in not that many years. That's funny. They thicken up quickly. I've worked with field grown hornbeam and because we have the convention of using them from Yamadori, we have a little more tolerance for funkiness in Korean hornbeam than a lot of the other ones. And a lot of the field grown hornbeam, and that's probably exactly what you're dealing with. Wow, a lot of rough edges on them, but you've got no excuse for not making the branches look exactly the way you want. Yeah, they, I mean, with the internodes being so short, their, um, their ability to bud almost anywhere where you want them to um, yeah, you, <laughs> you don't have a lot of excuses because it is going to work with you. And that's, that's, uh, that's an exciting thing. I think about Korean hornbeam. Yeah. And horticulturally, the only things that come to mind are if you have, so when you're young, just do whatever, like you said, full defoliation, fine, bare root them, fine. When you have a mature specimen, you find that they don't grow roots as quickly as a lot of other deciduous species. And they can typically mm. go much longer between repots and sure. that you don't always want to bare root them when you repot. Uh, I remember Akio Kondo saying that maybe once every 10 to 20 years, you'll bare root the tree, but in between you repot maybe only every three to five years and you're doing a more conservative root work at the time, just because they just don't, you repot them every year and you find you're just replacing new soil because they haven't put right. a lot of roots. 
Yeah, they don't have the strength that a maple or a beech might have, for yeah, example. Which is funny because the tops will keep growing if you keep them happy. Sure. Yeah, they're they're really interesting plants. Like you said, I, I do have a lot of field-grown ones. I um, after Telperion Farms uh, had their fire, I, I went and dug many of the the Korean hornbeams that uh, survived the fire, and so I have about twenty of those in the garden that are big, kind of chunky, um, really really interesting plants, and I'm really looking forward to to developing those. But um, I think you know, I think they lend themselves nice to different forms because of the bark a little bit, and, and the bark because it has more rugged characteristics. That that ruggedness can can more easily translate into uh, maybe having a little bit of deadwood on the tree, maybe having a, a little bit of chunkiness or something like that, because you, we see those same qualities in in the bark itself. Whereas if you had a beech, which you know has this beautiful, beautiful, smooth white bark. Oh it doesn't quite lend itself to those characteristics. Yeah. People can't see me shaking my head. Beach Japanese beach is one of the, <laughs> or any beach are just among the more challenging deciduous species. Yeah. They, I don't know that they make Ume look easy because nothing makes Ume look easy. But, nothing makes Ume look easy, but, but beach is not super forgiving. Yeah. Unless you have a European beach, I found European beaches. Uh, those are strong. Of of the beach family, European beach is the the strong one. Just like green hornbeam of the hornbeam family. If you look yeah. at any other hornbeams, uh, at least the ones that we're familiar with working with, Japanese hornbeam, the Japanese redleaf hornbeam, uh, American hornbeam, uh, European hornbeam, Korean uh, hornbeam is the strongest and most forgiving out of any of those. Yeah. All right, you ready for our next species? Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you hit us up with one? Well, the first one that always comes to mind for me is Yopon holly. Um, Ilex vomitoria, wonderful name, uh, native to Texas, and really common actually in the Southeast as um, they kind of use them the way we use boxwood, just as a hedge plant. Mm -hmm. And you dig up those hedge trees after a long time, and there might be a nice trunk down there. Uh, the male plants uh, tend to bulk up and get nice trunks. The female have wonderful bright red fruit. And so Pick your choice if you want the nice fruit or if you want the nice trunk, but you're not as likely to get both on the same tree. How, how long have you been working with Yapon Holly? I, I know you have one on the blog. It must be about 13, 14 years, something like that. Okay. So I remember I think you... the third blog post ever was working with Michael Hagedorn on that holly. And so that was about 12, 13 years ago. Fun. And and do you find, I, I haven't worked with the Alpine holly nearly as much as you have. Do you find, you know, it's a broadleaf evergreen. Do you find it very similar to working on a boxwood or, or other broadleaf evergreens we're familiar with? One very key difference in that the, and this is the one kind of key insight we had after working on it for all these years. In general, you treat a lot of, broadleaf evergreens the way you would treat deciduous trees you can kind of you get a new shoot you wire it you let it grow out you cut it back and you're done what we found is that if you cut back a young say a branch grows for one year you get six inches of growth or 12 inches you cut it back it'll often die back or if not die back just not grow and it'll send another shoot from the trunk or the base of whatever that branch started and so you end up just treading water you grow something out, you cut it back, something else grows out, you cut it back, something else grows out and you never develop anything. And so, yes, the process is the same as boxwood, but you often have to let that shoot run for two or three years before you do that initial cutback. Once it has built up that wood, then it'll bud at every single node and give you the uh, ramification you want. Interesting. Do you, would you, 
so you want to see more Yapon Holly. Do you want to see people collecting them or growing them from scratch or, or both? I, I think they could come from just about anywhere. I guess we'd be much better off dealing with nursery stock collected out in the wild. And I'll funny note about that or uh, digging them up from the landscape. I think it's going to be one of our best urban collectible species to work with. Um, what's funny is they're, they're just these rangy brushy things. They don't have a shape. So we can kind of style them however we'd like, much like boxwood. We often take oaks as our example, mm -hmm. but, uh, they're just, they're these awful things that have really long, straight branches. You cut those things off and go from there. So some bad things about them, wounds don't heal. Big wounds, you just don't expect to heal unless they're maybe in the ground, they're growing super fast. I, when I see big wound on Yopon, you just, that's part of the design. But what's great is in general, they're hard to kill. They're a fantastic species for beginners. It forces you to learn the one technique about letting branches run, teaches a little bit of delayed gratification. But other than that, they're pretty forgiving about the water. They, if you have the technique, you can get them super duper dense in a small number of years. And it just seems like it just should be one of the things that we're working with if not everyone wants to start with a juniper. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really like the holly family, uh, deciduous holly, either Ilex oh, or yeah. verticulata or, or any of one of those. That was my, like, probably number fourth on my Oh, it didn't make list. the list. Ah. So, so next episode, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that one. But I'm excited nice. to see more Yapon holly. Yeah, they'll be fun. I'm prepping one for the national show coming up. And uh, it's, it's, just, it's a fun species to work with. Awesome. And I want to see more broadleaf evergreens. That's kind of a neglected category. It's a totally neglected category. And so, so whatever we can do for that uh, just makes the room look a little bit more fun, whatever the time of year, especially yeah. winter shows. Yeah, sure. All right. What else you got? All right. My next one is not a species, but a genus. Uh, and actually my next two are genuses. Um, and I guess I'll start with my, my favorite of the two is a uh, birch. Uh, wow. Birch is one of my favorite plants. It always has been um, the different um, qualities of the bark that we can bring into the deciduous mix. You know, so many deciduous species that we utilize for bonsai have very plain bark, uh, maples, uh, beech, uh, elms, unless you have a cork bark, uh, even, even hornbeam is, is relatively tame, but when you put a birch in the mix of all of that, you have something that has this really, really dynamic bark quality. And, and in a garden like mine, where you know, 95% of the, the trees here are deciduous, uh, having a birch that either has a real papery bark or has a real kind of super rugged bark uh, is, is really exciting. They also, you know, they have beautiful forms in nature um, that are kind of fun to think about if they can translate or not, but it's, it's just a tree that I really, really love. It's also one of the most identifiable deciduous species among just the average person walking down the street. People recognize birch. Right, right. It's it's super, super common. But for being that common, we don't see it as bonsai hardly at all. Um, something that I hear a lot from people is that birch tend to be lossy. They lose branches, but I'm, I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily convinced that that's true. Yeah, I hear uh, that a lot. What do you say to people when you hear that? Yeah, I, you know, I've had birch for the last maybe four years and I've never experienced that. Most of my trees are young, although I do have a couple old ones. Um, but I think it's more so that 
there's just some adjustment needed in our practice. Maybe it's in the watering. I find birch to be very, very thirsty plants very. Uh, and they're very hungry plants too. They need a lot more nutrition than, than other plants or added nutrition, I should say. And so um, if you can keep a, a, a birch, you know, well watered, well fertilized, I, I have either even a young plant and an old plant, I see no difference in, in how it does on a bonsai bench compared to other species. Well, let's take a brief sidebar. In general, what causes branch dieback? Oh, I wired a branch and everything I wired died. What that comes up a lot with a number of deciduous species. And so right. what, what do you think that's attributable to? I, I, I mostly think it's, it's a problem of, of nutrition and watering. Um, if you don't water your tree enough, if you don't fertilize it enough, it's going to toss branches. And I think birch, maybe they're one of the first plants to, to do this, but um, they could be a signifier in the garden of, of some, some other issues that are going on. And so I, I, the birch that I have in the garden, I have maybe, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen, something like that. Uh, and I hope to get many more, but they all take about double the water than your typical maple that they're sitting next to. They're, they're very, very thirsty plants. And so I think if you can just make adjustments in your practice, then they do just fine. And yeah, we've certainly I've... seen several nice prominent ones. Uh, Dennis Voitillo won best deciduous a couple of years ago with, with a birch in the U S national show. And so they make really, really beautiful trees if you give them a chance. And that's another indicator that it is more of a technique thing that birch can do really, really well with the right training. And so I've heard that and I've actually seen the result of many, many dead branches on birch and your guess is as good as mine. I would say the exact same thing. Um, a lot of people have said, yeah, I don't have that problem on birch. And I'm guessing that it's that additional loving care. And it seems weird. Well, how, why would a branch die if I don't water the tree isn't it much? Well, if a tree is likely to drop branches, is it going to drop the stressed branch or the one that's reaching all the light and growing freely. So it's not even a fair fight. When right. I was working for my dad's nursery, I remember nothing dried out faster than birch out in the field. Mm -hmm. That was the, just by far the species that needed the most water. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. I mean, birch in many ways, they're, they're really, really tough plants, uh, especially when they're young, they're, they're typically a pioneering species. So if you have a Weedy. cleared area, you know, they're going to be the first things that come in and colonize that. Um, and so they're, they're used to growing really quickly, really fast. Well, I'll be curious when you get into the later stages of development, because you want to keep them healthy and blow them out. They're a lot of fun. When you start yeah. getting into the fine branching on them, that's when you're way more likely to see that uh, twig die back. So it'll right. be fun to see how that goes. Also, bigger trunks are going to give the tree more reserves, make them a little more resilient. That right. helps. Yeah, yeah, I've... I've just been having a lot of fun with birch and, and it's, oh, it's one of the few trees that I'm going to invest in, in a lot of young plants. Um, so they're, they're, good. they're fun. I know Eric has done a good job with birch and I've seen a couple others around, so they're fun. I look forward to seeing more of those. Yeah. And they're, they're another nice thing is they're, they're pretty adaptable. You can have a birch in the Bay area. You can have a birch in Portland or in Texas. I mean, they're, they're more adaptable than, than other species we tend to work with. Yeah. And there you can find them native to a whole bunch of different places and some like it much warmer, some like it much cooler. And so there's mm -hmm. uh, there's likely a birch that will grow near most places. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The, the one interesting thing I, I, think aesthetically with birch, which is, is my biggest conundrum with them is, is not, 
it's not the horticulture of keeping them. I, I, I think that's relatively easy if you make some adjustments, but um, birch in, in the landscape, they tend to have a lot of weeping qualities uh, of the very, very, very fine twigs. And that is something that's hard to translate into scale. Um, yeah, I'll be really curious what you come up with for that. It, it looks so forced when people wire branches into these deep pendulous swooping branches and it it kind of kills the feeling it actually makes it look more like willow a species that actually grows with those loopy things naturally right Um, but birch has this very delicate feeling the look of a the flickering birch leaf is kind of the effect you get from the way the branches work on them and wow that's just it's hard to reproduce well and i think dennis's tree is actually a pretty darn good example of that where it had just enough leaves that were all hanging that looked yeah. that kind of evoked that birchness by virtue of the fact that the leaves were coming down rather than pointing up or out the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it will be interesting to challenge. And, and I'm not sure that everything that we do and, or everything that we see that we observe and in, in how trees grow in the landscape is translatable to bonsai. And so that's, that's one that be fun to piece out, but I, I'd love to see more birch. I want people to grow birch. Good. I look forward to it too. Awesome. What's, what's your number two? Uh, number two, uh, just for kicks, let's say plum. Plum. That's a big <laughs> group of plants. It's a just huge like group of plants. They're delicious fruit and pretty flowers. And why don't we see more plum? You are a deciduous garden. How many plum are on your property? I have two. What kind two are they? They're, um, they're the European one. I'm, I'm forgetting the species off the top of my head. It's the red leaf European one, maybe Prunus sarissa or something. Yeah, they're 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 um, they're weeds in Portland. They grow all over. People are constantly coming down. But but uh, again, it's another species that makes a really really nice bonsai. It's very aggressive in its growth, but we don't see a lot of them. Yeah, by far, I think the most neglected category of bonsai in the U.S. are fruiting and flowering trees and. Uh, you know, deciduous trees in general, fruiting and flowering specifically. And that whole category was kind of lost on me until I went to a fall show in Japan when almost every single three-point display included a fruiting or flowering tree. And it just, it really brightens up the room when you have all of these different color and size and shape fruit. It's why you see princess persimmon. It's why you see crab apple. And uh, I didn't see plum in Japan, though, interestingly. And so most of the plum bones I'm familiar with would be either European or North American. Tell, tell me about plums that you have in your garden. Um, your first tree was a plum. Is that right? It kind of. It was my dad gave my mom a plum when they were kids. And I still have that plum in the garden right now. Things over 70 years old, probably. And so I always grew up knowing what bonsai was because of that one plant in the garden. And it's uh, plum aren't the longest lived trees in the world. And so I've since uh, been taking cuttings from it and growing it. So I'm actually preserving the line. There seems to be some odd um, botanical irony in that, that that the scion of that family is making scions of the plum, but they develop really quickly. They've been really fun to grow from scratch and they're a neat species that I think like the others we've talked about, kind of like hornbeam in it. I think there's a lot of different models we could follow for what a plum bonsai might look like. I think you could be totally deadwood forward and follow the Ume path. I think you could make a cute orchard shaped tree, maybe mm-hmm. not fully like a Zelkova, but maybe toward that, uh, 
I've never seen an actual broom, but you know, maybe modified broom could give you a nice upright form. Sure. And then I see a lot of people collecting specimens that grow wild where they live and they make a wonderful forest plant. And uh, again, you can just pick the size of the fruit you want, pick the color of the leaf you want, pick the scent of the flower. There's such a variety in plum that I just don't totally know why we haven't seen more plum bonsai around. How would you compare working on plum to working on ume? Because in, in our bonsai database, mm -hmm. that's probably the closest, closest relative that we have that we're familiar with. So, so how is, how is a plum maybe, maybe better or, or different than, than an ume? That's does, a really good it... question. So what I'm doing is I'm ringing through my head, the different plum species that come to mind mm -hmm. and, you know, which ones, some are more vigorous, some are less vigorous. I'd say the, the finding characteristic of ume is cantankerous. They're vigorous, except when they're not, they are, it's a challenge to keep the leaves happy, happy all year long. Um, they are one of the hardest things to bend once the uh, branches have acquired any wood at all. And you need to just keep cutting and growing and cutting and growing. Plums are just slightly more forgiving versions of that. So I'd say you have more of an, a longer opportunity to wire the branches before they thicken up. And honestly, even if they harden off, if they're not too thick, you can still get some bending to them. They seem to butt back, bud back when you cut into old wood. And um, the flowers are similar. They're both really pretty. They both smell great. Uh, a nice thing is it's a lot easier to find a plum where you can display the fruit if you have a late summer event and you can get mm. a really great variety of color. I've got some plums now. I don't know, even know what they are. Probably kind of a seedling variation within the Sarasifera family, but small red green fruit. And they're just really, really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I like plum a lot. It's, it seems like a much more predictable version of ume, uh, which, which, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> if, and if they you do get, to grow ume, you get frustrated right. pretty quick. <laughs> As all members in the Rose family, they will get every disease known to man, every fungus known to man. I've been fighting, uh, Oh gosh, the, you can get the crown galls. I've fought fungus for years. If they don't get enough light and air or keep too wet, they'll get mm. lots of different foliar pathogens. And for the first time ever, uh, my tree had spider mite damage. The only spider mites in the garden attacked a plum. Explain that to me. <laughs> it, apparently that's a thing. And so yeah. uh, you do have to be vigilant in your care form, but fun species to work with. If you don't like something on it, you cut it, something new will grow and you, you work with that. Yeah, fun. More plums. Yeah, so that that that's a vote for plum. Yeah, fun. Which brings well, my, us to your number three. I'm so curious. My number three is is again, it's another genus, and I'm going to even narrow it down a little bit more than that. But is it is a genus? It is oaks, and uh, I'd love to see more deciduous oaks. I'll, I'll narrow it down. Um, we see quite a bit of. Uh, evergreen oaks in the bonsai community. If you go to the Southeast United States, they've been playing with live oaks for years. Uh, although I, I think there could be some more um, experimentation with that. Uh, on the California coast, we see beautiful coast live oaks all the time. Uh, and I know, I think California actually has a few different um, Lots. coasts or, or a few different live oaks, yeah. um, which JT uh, in your, your recent podcast with him shed some light on, which was fun. Um, but I would love to see more deciduous oaks um, it's, it's, it's probably the most iconic deciduous tree, uh, in the United States. 
is is the oak. It's most almost everybody can recognize it. Almost everybody sees the acorns. They know what it is. Um, but we see virtually no deciduous oak bonsai. Um, and again, I hear other rumors, um, just like I do with birch. You know, you can't have them in a pot. Um, I've heard other ones, and it's it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's I, I have several deciduous oaks here. They're some of the strongest trees in the garden. Um, and so, um, and again, it, it brings in some contrast to, to what I was saying before about bark. Um, wow. If you're just working with maples and beech and, and hornbeam and, and, and most of our common, uh, common utilized species for, for deciduous bonsai, they have relatively the same bark profiles. Uh, but the exciting thing about birch, the exciting thing about oak is that you're bringing in a variety into that mix. Oaks get these, this beautiful, rugged, um, really strong bark, which, which is a nice, nice counterpoint to some of the more smooth barks like maples in the garden. Yeah. When I talk to people who do bonsai up in the Northeast, they look at us like we're crazy. Well, why don't you guys have more oaks? Like oaks are fantastic. We got them all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're everywhere. I, I grew up in Missouri um, in the deciduous woods there, and there were, I think there's 15, 20 different species of deciduous wow. oaks in that neck of the woods. And so it's, you know, it's it's these plants aren't hard to grow. I mean, if if you live near an oak tree, you see you know hundreds of saplings coming up from the acorns that the squirrels have planted, um, but we just don't see them as bonsai, and that's I think a missed opportunity. I look forward to finding out which are going to be our best candidates within that subcategory of Quercus. And so have you identified any species that you are most curious to learn more about? You know, not yet. I, I still want to do some research. Uh, there's the, the species that I have in the garden is, is Valley Oak from your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. um, and that does great. I've worked a little bit with uh, Oregon White Oak, which um, tends to have a little bit more fungal problems uh, in my garden than Valley Oak does. Um, but I think they're both, both great species. The White Oaks, they tend to have smaller leaves. Um, which translate a little bit better for bonsai. Although uh, I have some red oak, you know, saplings that I'm going to start playing with pretty soon. So I'm not discounting anything because of leaf size. Um, I have a, several clients who have uh, some English oaks, which, which oh. are beautiful. Um, I, I think there's a lot of untapped possibility there. I do too. And it's funny as I think through the different deciduous ones, I it's, it makes it very clear why they are not just an obvious choice for development as bonsai. And part of that is while we have lots and lots of oaks across the continent, they have very specific needs in many cases, and they're only going to thrive in certain kinds of weather. Valley oak are a California tree and valley oak will not do well if it does not get warm enough. So all mm. of coastal California, that's not where you're going to see valley oak. They will not be happy. They'll just be covered with fungus all year long. And the branches will die back and they will not be happy because they want heat. And another problem in deciduous oak is so many of them just have huge leaves and big mm -hmm. inner nodes. And then there are some species that just, it's hard to ramify on a very small scale. That might be a totally cultural thing, but a lot of oaks just might make more sense as medium or large size bonsai, not as shoheen or kifu size trees. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think there's just, we don't have the data points. There's just, you know, nobody has tried enough times to really say with Oak, 
anything definite, uh, which I think is, is something that's really exciting. So, and, and I think the irony is a lot of people styled their deciduous trees and even their broadleaf evergreens to look like oak, but they're not right. using oaks to, to, to look like oak. And so I've always, that's always been a interesting um it is interesting, interesting and thing. it brings up that you know long-standing topic that I'll probably always be on the edge of not quite figuring out, which is do we make trees look like how they grow in nature or do we do some modified variation of that? Our redwood bonsai don't primarily look like redwood, for example. And if we miniaturize an oak, it won't be a bonsai. It'll just be a miniature oak. And so what will it look like when we start making truly beautiful trees that evoke our favorite characteristics of oak on that smaller scale? I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think there's a, a lot of things come to mind. It's just going to take some time to build them. Yeah, I agree. And hopefully your, your last podcast that you did with, with JT will, will help inspire people along with this conversation to, to plant some acorns and, and grow some oak. By far the most positive feedback of any episode was the oak episode. And so I was very heartened by the response everyone had to that. Yeah, great. Well, we need more oak. Okay, I'm all for it. All right, Jonas, what's your, what's your last of, of your top three species you want to see more of? What's number three? All right, well, let's round it out with a conifer just to be different. And might start with actually my first conifer that I ever had, and that was a hinoki. And I kind of want to go broader. I keep wanting to veer into, yeah, but we need more saguaro. We need more moss cypress. And at that level, we need more cryptomeria. But what's so fun about Hinoki is that they have a very different feel than the other conifers. They are the soft, gentle conifer. They're not about the rugged deadwood. They're not about the super drama. And they're not about the brutal techniques. Hinoki are one of the conifer species that best show their age and training as bonsai the same as deciduous trees it's kind of the pads or the branches the small branchlets that form the pads are what convey age and character and that coupled with a nice trunk is a great place to start with so why don't we see more hinoki they're slow to bulk up they're slow to develop Um, and they're not the most hardy. You don't stick them in the full sun. They need a lot of water. You don't let them dry out all the time. They take a tiny bit more care than other ones, but why is it worth it? It is the, uh, especially for a lot of the basic, you know, your shaman cypress obtusa, it is my favorite green in the garden. It is just the greatest deep, dark bluish green with pale green new foliage. It's just hard to beat that color. Yeah. And it's such a different looking foliage than, a juniper or a pine or, or anything else like that. Yeah. For being scale-based conifer foliage, it really does have a different feeling and it teaches some different techniques. You know, the kind of pinching and pad development is just a little bit different than it would be on a shimpaku or uh, one of our domestic junipers. You know, the thing I like about Hanoki is that it, it is a little bit needy than some of the other conifers, mm-hmm. but it's more versatile too. I mean, you can, you can have a, a Hanoki and, and, in Texas and Maine and California, they're, they're pretty versatile plants. They, they they're not to... easy in Texas. I know people that have had a lot of trouble with no keys in, uh, in Texas. Maybe, maybe Northern Texas is what I'm thinking, but. Um... It, uh, it, it would then, so it's one of those cases where, you know, it's, I'd say everyone's 
no reason not to start with a Hinoki and just see what you can make it do. And, right. and then maybe try a different cultivar. And, and they're super available. You can go to almost any garden yep. center in the country and find one. That's right. Have you done much grafting on Hinoki? I haven't. Um, you know, Michael has though. And when uh-huh. I was there, we were grafting, uh, we were getting native uh, Alaskan yellow cedars and we were grafting those with Hinoki. Uh-huh. Uh, but then we realized, why are we doing this? Because the you can treat the Alaskan yellow cedar right pretty much identically and 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 get a really beautiful result yeah that's goes, one that i want to see more of yeah yeah it's such a different feeling i think which is which is nice about those trees yeah one other funny thing about hinoki is when you go to japan they are almost exclusively large trees that are formal upright hmm. sometimes medium but you just don't see smaller you don't see them in shohin shows and you don't see informal designs for the most part. Uh, it's yeah. a timber tree in Japan, and it's actually one of the most important timber trees in Japan. And so as yeah, a timber Sugi, tree, right? it, yeah. Oh, that's cryptomeria. Sugi Hino- is cryptomeria? Hinoki is Hinoki. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, right, Sugi, that's right. Sugi is cryptomeria. Okay. And so they're just these tall, big, straight forest trees. And the traditional homes we see, as well as whether it's the the baths, a lot of these things are all made of hinoki because it's a fantastic wood to work with. And the wood has certain resins or something that make it... Yeah, you can make things out of it. It seems to stand up to water well. A lot of the baths will be made of uh, hinoki planks and it has a nice fragrance to it as well. Yeah, fun. So I think... uh, I think... I, there is a lot of interest in Hoki, but I think we could do more with that. I know a bunch are coming out of the Northeast. I think we could see more in most parts of the country. Do you have any Hinoki in your garden right now? You know, I had, the answer was yes last week. And the answer is no this week. <laughs> Just sold one then. Well, yeah. Hinoki come and go extremely quickly because so few people started long-term Hinoki projects a long time ago. And yeah. so they just, they come and go very, very quickly. And so I've been on the lookout for Hinoki for the last 20 years. And when I find nice ones, I grab them. Do you, when you're going to a nursery, cause uh-huh. it's, it's, it's a super, super common plant to see at a garden center. Do you have any uh, cultivars that you, you like more than others? Here's my one big comment on that. In general, avoid grafted Hinoki. Almost all cultivars will be grown as grafted specimens in nurseries, and the grafts are not always kind. If you can find an old specimen with an invisible or at least modest graft line, go for it. But otherwise, I would watch out. Um, Foliage-wise, there are tons of great cultivars, but uh, really hard to find a good-sized specimen that you're going to want to work with. Great. But that well, I, hope- I think it's the... Uh, like, you know, the really compact ones are nice. So Shemsipra obtusa, uh, what is it? Cupressus nana or something is a really mm-hmm. nice one, but it grows so tiny. It's so small. Yeah. So sometimes just the normal uh, species will be good enough. Yeah, great. Well, we I look forward to seeing more Hanokis out there. Yeah, me too. Fun. Well, that, that was hard to narrow it down, I, I will have to say, in planning for this episode, um, just yeah, narrowing first- it down to three. Was, your was initial invitation you had two of your three trees were different yeah 
Yeah, it's challenging. What it just just as a teaser for next time, what's what would be maybe four, five, and six on your list? Well, as I mentioned before we started, that I'd come up with uh, I had a broadleaf evergreen list, I had a subtropical list, I had a bunch of uh-huh. different things, but some things that just missed the cut were, you know, I just mentioned cryptomeria, but one is uh, wisteria, which I have mixed feelings about, and that would be any of the wisterias or miletias, in that they uh-huh. are just really easy to grow, really easy to develop, really fun to work with. They drive people crazy because they don't always bloom when or how they want. And they're not as helpful for shows because they're just not as gorgeous other times of year outside of spring. But if you want something to make the garden look pretty, wisteria is one that comes to mind. Yeah. Every garden should have a wisteria. Yeah, I think so. What about you? What, what just missed your list? Uh, Ilex serrata or verticulata deciduous holly just missed my list. Um, I have to look in the garden because it's always, uh, winter hazel, uh, is, is one coralopsis I think is a really, really fun plant. Um, Coralopsis are great. Good luck finding an old specimen without scars, but man, it's so fun when you can find it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they heal over pretty well too. So if you have a scar, it's, it's, it's pretty workable. Um, what I find is a lot of the more mature ones have just grown freely. And so you see a lot of straight sections on old coralopsis and, or a lot of awkward cuts on them. And you just, you try to work with that because otherwise you're, you're starting at an earlier stage. Right. Right. Yeah, fun. Well, I think we have have enough to talk about for next time. Yes, I'll look forward to that. We will be seeing each other shortly at the National Exhibit. Yeah, and look forward to seeing a lot of people from the community there as well. So, All right. All right. Thanks for chatting. Thanks, Jonas. Bye. Bye-bye. The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.org.